we're in Revelation chapter 12, verse 13 through 17. Satan is a persecutor, what? Extraordinaire. That's right. If you would, stand for reading of God's word. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of, the, of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for telling us what is coming in the future so we don't have to be filled with angst. We know that there's an Antichrist coming, but we know that Jesus Christ will come back and rescue us and that he will win this battle. He's already won it. He's already won it. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son. Holy Spirit, speak to us today things that we need to hear from this teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Satan is a persecutor extraordinaire. Remember, his target is the nation of Israel. He hates the Jewish per people. The woman we discovered last week and the week before was Israel. It's Israel. When it speaks about the woman in Scripture, particularly in Revelation, it is Israel. The theme is Jesus is coming. The theme of Revelation, Jesus is coming. He's coming in judgment, and he's coming to set up his thousand-year millennial kingdom, which you will have a role in. You will have a place to play, a, pay, a place to serve. Well, play, whatever it is. Last week, we, did, we discussed uh, Satan's great presumption. He presumed that he could cause war in the heavens and he could overtake God. Now, I want you to think about something. When you're thinking about this war in the heavens, I don't think it's talking about the throne of God that he tried to overcome. I don't even think he would have the hubris to do that. I think this war occurred in his second abode, that is the atmospheric heavens. Remember, his first abode as the anointed cherub Lucifer was the worship leader in heaven. He was the highest of God's creation till pride was found in him and he was cast out. Cast out, he and a third of the angels. They were cast out to their second abode, the atmospheric heavens. One should also realize that Satan still has access to heaven when God summons him he must give an account. And actually, all of the angels we see, good and bad, are summoned by God to give an account of what they're doing. We know that in Job chapter 1, verse 6, there, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them. And the sons of God, we see in other areas of Job, are angels. So these angels have to give an account. Now, there will be a future time when Satan, when he gives his account, is an accuser. We saw in last week, he's an accuser of the brethren. And the accuser of the brethren was cast out of heaven last week and thrown to the earth. Remember the picture. He was thrown violently. He was body slammed to earth. A violent extraction from heaven. And heaven rejoiced, but the earth was woe. Satan has been thrown down and he is angry, he is furious. The word was thumos, a violent passage, an outburst of rage. He is furious, 
And his fury and his anger is going to be directed at the woman. He wants to kill every Jew possible. Now remember, this occurs in the middle of the tribulation. Chapters 10 through 14 are the middle of the tribulation. And Satan experienced something that we mentioned last week, and it is this. It is the law of unintended consequences. When we do something contrary to God, we experience what Satan experiences to a much lesser degree, but the law of unintended consequences. Whoa, I really wish I wouldn't have done that. The consequences for this are so great, I really wish I wouldn't have gone down that road. Erwin Lutzer, in his book, God's Devil, explains Satan being cast out of heaven this way. He is the star who bit the dust. The star who bit the dust. What will his focus be? Again, it'll be the Jewish people. He is a persecutor extraordinaire. Now, let me ask you this question. What will the world be like prior to Antichrist assuming power on earth? What will it be like just prior to that? And we know it will be like the days of Noah because Jesus told us, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. When Jesus comes at the end of this thing, it'll be just like Noah. And what was the days of Noah like? Well, listen to this. Now, tell me if you don't think this is kind of picturesque of our time today. A disregard for the true God. The people in Noah's day wanted nothing to do with the true God. As a matter of fact, they were worshiping anything but the true God. To the point that only eight were saved that got onto the ark. It got down to eight people left on planet Earth who did not buy into, the, into Satan's scheme. A disregard for the true God. A disregard for God's preachers of righteousness. And you know that in 2 Peter 2.5, Noah was called a preacher of righteousness, and he was ignored. A disregard for the truth that is preached. Now, can you imagine this? Noah building this huge, giant ark. No one had ever seen anything like this. This is like an aircraft carrier being built in your backyard. People have never seen anything like this. It's in the middle of a desert, and he keeps warning a flood is coming, a flood is coming, a flood is coming. And nobody knows what a flood is because it's never rained. I mean, they have no idea what a flood is. They think that Noah is what? Crazy. You're crazy for being a Noah. Yeah, that, and how do they look at us? They look at us the same way, don't they? Crazy, crazy, ridiculed, ignored. And then there's a finally a disregard for righteousness. Evil reached its zenith, its peak in the times of Noah. We're repeating that cycle now. Look around us at what's going on. Genesis 6-5, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent and thoughts of his heart was only on evil continually. Now, does this seem familiar to you? Yes, it does. Because we are living in a time where Antifa now is raging in the streets. Lawlessness is abounding in the streets. And contrary to any other time, at least in the history of this country, governors are on their side, mayors are on their side, city councils are on the sides of Antifa, and we have lawlessness that is endorsed by the leadership. That has never happened in America. America is changing. Our world, folks, is being prepared for the Antichrist. Satan's target past, present, and future is the Jewish people. He hates the woman who birthed Messiah. The nation of Israel birthed Messiah. 
In verse 13, we're going to see the woman is persecuted. Now, when the dragon saw, remember the dragon is Satan, he had been cast to the earth, thrown to the earth, violently kicked out of heaven. He persecuted the woman Israel who gave birth to the male child that would be Messiah. So, why the all-out assault on Israel? Why the all-out assault? And the answer is in verse 12 last week. He knows his time is short. Satan knows, uh uh-oh, the end is here. I have to be all out on my killing of the Jewish people. And you know why, and I'll mention it in just a second again. Now remember, prior to this, Antichrist is raging on the earth, but Antichrist comes to power slowly, and he comes to power by negotiating a peace covenant with the nation of Israel. So he appears as a friend. He appears as gentle and warm and kind and fuzzy and that sort of thing. He's faking. He's faking. In the middle of the tribulation, we know this happens. Satan will be thrown to the earth. We saw that last week. He possesses the Antichrist who was resurrected. This is a review of his actions in 11.7. He then kills the two witnesses who lie dead in the street for three and a half days. And what do they do? They're resurrected right before the eyes of the people. He will break his covenant with Israel. He will force the abomination of desolation, the worship of himself in the temple of God, and insist that all people on earth take his mark, the mark of the beast, his seal, that you belong to the Antichrist. And then he, he chases the Jewish remnant and tries to kill everyone he possibly can. Now, why will so many worship the Antichrist in the end? And you know the answer to this question. And you know why I know you know the answer to this question? Because I'm going to tell you (laughs) where we have been multiple times. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. They worship the Antichrist for this reason. The coming of the lawless one, that is the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan. The energia of Satan. With all power, signs, and lying wonders. And I think this is referring to the time when Satan is is cast out of heaven. He personally indwells the Antichrist. We'll see more of that in their future teachings. That I believe he will personally indwell the Antichrist. And at that time, Antichrist will do miracles and signs and wonders that will mesmerize the world. Mesmerize the world. And with all unrighteous deception. Isn't that the way Satan is among those who... Perish. Now, why do they perish? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. It's the, it was the, it's the same then as it is now. Those who refuse to accept and receive the love of the truth of who Jesus Christ is will perish. They have bought into the delusion. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. And you remember what the lie was? That Antichrist is the true Christ. That is the great delusion. That is the great delusion. Now, what does Antichrist do? What does Satan do once he's kicked out of heaven? He chases the woman. And the woman then has a great escape. Verse 14. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place 
where she is nourished for a time, that's one, times, that's two more, that's three, and a half time. That's three and a half years of protection in the last part. From the present of the serpent. So the woman is going to make her escape, but Antichrist is going to make his chase after the woman. So, God, this is very important. God always has an escape plan for his people. For the nation of Israel, they're fleeing into the wilderness. Antichrist is chasing them. They look like they're going to be caught. Just like the Jews, when they were running from Pharaoh at the Red Sea, they were caught. They were caught. I'm going to give you an analogy here in just a second. Let me ask you this. What do you think your escape plan is? We have an escape plan. That's right, right? We have an escape plan. It's the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. For the Lord himself, notice how personal this is. He's coming for his bride. He's coming for his church. He's coming for you. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. And notice it's loud. The shout, the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of God. And what happens? The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Harpazo. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And the most important part of this verse is the next one. Verse 18. Comfort one another with these words. Let me ask you a question. If you're going to go through the seal judgments and you believe in a mid-tribulation rapture, and you're going to have to go through Antichrist war, famine, and death, and one-fourth of planet Earth dies, two billion people, how do you comfort one another knowing you're going to go through that before you're raptured? This is a reason, another reason that we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. I think there's strong evidence for it. We are to comfort one another with these words. God has an escape plan for his chosen, just like the escape plan for the Egyptians in Exodus chapter 19, 4, he says this, I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. He's telling that about the Jewish people. This is very close to this. I, I was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. The Jews were being chased by Pharaoh's army, fled into the wilderness. These in the future will flee into the wilderness. The analogy is, is amazing. The great escape, you must remember, is orchestrated by God. It is not the United States Air Force coming in and saying, okay, we're going to come to the rescue, or the Israeli Defense Force, or something like that. No, this is God. Remember, God has always been Israel's protector. Multiple, multiple, multiple times, Satan has tried to eliminate the people of Israel, the people of God. And remember this, God is always your protect, protector. Now, where is Israel's safe place? You know this from our past teaching. They're going to flee to Basra. Basra. She shall fly into the wilderness to her place, her safe place. God always has a safe place for his people, a place prepared by God in 12.6 last week. Now, remember this. There's one place on earth. There's going to be a worldwide dominance of Antichrist, except for one place. And that place we discovered in Daniel 11.41, one place that Antichrist will not control, says this, 
he shall also enter the glorious land that is Israel. And many countries shall be overthrown, but these from the glorious land shall escape from his hand. And where do they go? Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. They are not going to be controlled by Antichrist. Remember the map from last time. The map from last time. And I, now, pay attention to this because this is important. This is supposed to be Basra, not Batsra, but Basra. But they flee from Jerusalem. They have seen the abomination of desolation described by the prophet Daniel in 927 and also by Jesus mentioned it in, Dan, in Matthew chapter 24. These Jews have probably been, been, have knowledge of the Old Testament, heard the witness of the two witnesses, they are making their flee. They are not believing Jews yet, but they know that Antichrist is doing something absolutely horrific, setting up the abomination of desolation, and they are fleeing like they should. Very important point. They're not saved yet, but they're fleeing. These will be saved at the end of the tribulation period. Now, hold it before we switch that. Ammon is up here. Moab is here. Edom is down here. This is Jordan. This place will be protected from the Antichrist in the future. Now, with that stated, where is your safe place? And I would suggest to you, and you know this, if you're a Christian, you lived any time at all, you know that your safe place is close to your shepherd. You know that when life gets hard, when life gets hard, you want to be close to your shepherd. Look at every one of us has some sort of struggle, some sort of issue, something we're dealing with. And it is most comforting when you are near your shepherd. Remember, the Lord is your shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still, calm waters. My soul might be in turbulence, but he will lead me beside the still waters. And he will restore my soul. Yes, your safest place that you can be is in the center of God's will. You, you realize that, don't you? In the palm of his hand. Now, I have heard friends of mine say, I really hope my child doesn't become a missionary because I don't want them to go to some unsafe place in Africa or the Sudan or Iran or something like that. I go, oh, no, the safest place you can be is in the palm of of the hand of your God. That's the safest thing. The center of the will of God. How do I know that? Because God has promised to provide for and protect his people until it's time for your exit. Time for your exit. Satan, interestingly enough, with all of his vehement hatred for the nation of Israel, will not be able to touch this remnant that is fleeing. It's God's miracle, and there's nothing Satan can do about it. You know, Satan over and over and over has been thwarted. Thwarted over and over and over. He makes a move, God makes a counter move. He makes a move, God makes a counter move. In verse 15 and 16, Satan is thwarted again. Verse 15 and 16. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth. Now you're thinking, what in the world is that? Well, if you do a search of Scripture... In 17.5, we see that the water are peoples, nations, tongues, groups, people groups. 
also in Daniel 9, 26, we see that Titus's army is going to go into Jerusalem. Jesus is predicting it, or the prophet is predicting this, and destroy the city in 70 AD like a flood. You'll read that at the very last part of Daniel 9, 26. So the flood is an army. You allow scripture to interpret scripture. So that gives you a little context. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood, by the pursuing army. But the earth, interesting, helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, swallowed up the army, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Sounds like an earthquake, and, and Satan's army gets just buried into the earth. That's what it sounds like. So God pursues and God delivers, and I might say this over and over and over again, thwarted by God. The theme of our lives, the believer's life is this, but God. I want you to think about something. But God in your life. God to the rescue. Time and time and time again. I don't think we have any idea how often that has happened in our lives where we have been protected and protected and protected and protected and protected by our God. You think that Satan would learn, wouldn't you? All the times he was thwarted. All the schemes he's tried to put out. Satan has a problem. And it's like humanity's problem. We all have this problem. If you go this far. Unrestrained sin makes one delusional. Satan is the most brilliant and the most beautiful and the smartest. He's not wise, but he's the smartest of all God's creation. He's presumptuous, he's arrogant, he's foolish, and he's delusional. And again, he's living out the law of unintended consequences. And unintended consequences are constantly being lived out in our lives. When we get off track... There will be unintended consequences that come in. Now look, at we talked in the past about we're born again of the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes resonant within. But our soul, we're tripartite people. Remember we had the circle. We're body, soul, and spirit. Our spirit is born again. Our soul is not born again. Our soul is our thoughts, feelings, and emotions. It's, it's, it's where we make choices how we're going to live our life. And every day... We have, we have a choice to make. Are we going to live according to the flesh? Or are we going to live according to the spirit? And whoever dominates is going to act out in the body what the person is going to do. Okay? So, we can make flesh choices or we can make, make faith choices. But when we make a flesh choice, get ready for something. One big, giant mess. It is 100%. That is a high A. You make a flesh choice, and the consequence is going to be a mess. We have Satan-possessed Antichrist chasing the Jewish remnant. And again, it sounds like the whole thing with Moses in Egypt. How did the people respond to Moses when they were trapped at the Red Sea? You've brought us here. They start making all kinds of accusations against him. We can't possibly get out of here. I mean, they just seem, you know... All, all those miracles in Egypt, all those plagues on all of those Egyptian gods. 
Now they're trapped by the Red Sea and they're turning on Moses in Exodus 14, 10 through 14. We don't have time to go there, but I want to give you the classic response of Moses. Whenever you start to feel like you're trapped against the Red Sea or the Antichrist is chasing you through the wilderness and you have this discomfort like, why did I get here? How did I get here? What's going on in my life? Hear the words of Moses to these people that are in a panic attack. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You know what that means? To hold your peace, to be quiet, to quit grumbling and to quit complaining. That is what he's saying here. In our text today, you know that these people know that Antichrist is on the way. Can you hear the feel the earth shaking as they're, they're running away and the heavy equipment is coming at them? And the soldiers are coming at them. And they feel this tension and this pressure. It's a dire situation. They're trapped in their middle of nowhere. There's no hope. For the fleeing Jews, it's going to be another but God moment. Like the Red Sea parting for Moses, the earth parted for the remnant. And the result was this, as it says in the text, the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, the pursuing army. Another thwarted by God. Now you'd think that Satan would learn. He's, he's a smart guy. He's the most brilliant of all of God's creation. He never, he never learns. Does he take this defeat in stride? Does he say, okay, now Satan, like all bloviators, has another fit. He's enraged with the woman. And you know what he does? He then goes after the offspring. Verse 17 Satan's war with the woman and her offspring. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. Hmm, who are they? Well, two things. Who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Oh, a little bit different group here. The offspring. The offspring. Who are the offspring? Listen to this. I believe that they are believing Jews in other parts of the world who are unable to make their exit to Basra. Remember, there's more Jews living outside the land than live inside the land. There are Jews outside the land that know about Moses or know about Noah. Or excuse me, know about Daniel's prophecy. There are Jews outside the land that have heard about Jesus and his prophecy in Matthew 24. So there are other parts of the world, and they didn't have a chance to go to Basra. And I also believe it is pointing at Gentile believers, tribulation saints, those who have believed, the 144,000. So these people that did not make their escape, these people that are the target, are the ones that have been witnessed to by the 144,000 throughout the whole world. They've come into the body of Messiah. They're now part of the body of Messiah. Unbelieving Jews, I do not believe, are Antichrist target. They've already taken the mark of the beast at this point. They are already owned by Satan. He's not messing with them. He wants the, those that are true to Jesus Christ. Who are the offspring? They keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Remember, one-third of the Jews will be safe. God will keep them safe. Two-thirds will die. 
two-thirds that side with Antichrist will die. Remember this. It's the remnant believing at the end of the tribulation that do two things. It's not unbelieving Jews that are going to do this. It's not the two-thirds. It's the remnant. It's the one-third. The Jews must be, do two things for Messiah to return. Admit their national sin of rejecting Messiah. And secondly, plead for him to return. This is the greatest display of anti-Semitism in the history of the world. And believe me, there's been plenty of that that is going on. Satan is simply acting out what his character is. You remember what that was in John 8, 44? He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth because there's no truth in him. When he, when he speaks, his when he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's a murderer and he is a liar. He's going to lie to the Jewish people, act like their friend. And he's going to turn on them. He's going to allow them to build their temple, allow them to have temple sacrifices. He's going to look like a great guy and he's going to turn on them. He absolutely hates the Jewish people. Let me say something here. Anti-Semitism has always existed, but it will reach its peak in the tribulation period. Now, most of us are familiar with the anti-Semites in the world, like Hitler. He's, he's, he's the chief one, killed six million Jews. But and there's another guy called Ahmadinejad. That's close, okay? He's an Iranian president. You'll see his face in just a second. But few people know about Luther and few people know about Calvin. Luther's original, originally befriended the Jews, but because they wouldn't convert, he turned on them and actually hated them. Luther's writings actually were the impetus for Hitler's indoctrination of Germany. The church has replaced Israel. These are Christ killers. We should get rid of them. And it swept through Germany, and the German people bought into it. Lutherans today have repudiated this. Lutherans in the 30s bought into it. Isn't that tragic? John Calvin also was a vehement hater of the Jewish people. Now, Andy Woods has this picture on his website. You have Luther and you have Hitler and you have this Iranian crazy guy that hates the Jews. And he also has on his website this quote from Luther. First, their synagogue should be set on fire. Secondly, their home should, should likewise be broken down and destroyed. Thirdly, they should be deprived of their prayer books and their Talmuds. Calvin said this, shockingly. Calvin repeatedly refers to the Jews as profane, ungodly, sacrilegious dogs, describing them as barbarous nation and the people of Israel rejected by God. Now, what is the problem here? What do Luther and Calvin have in common? Replacement theology. They've bought into Augustine's teaching. In the fourth century, Augustine wrote a book, The City of God. And in that, he started to allegorize Scripture. He started to, to not take Scripture as it was written. As it, as it was written. And he formed a basis for replacement theology. Augustine, Luther, and Calvin laid the framework, the groundwork, for replacement theology today where the church has replaced Israel. That is not a true teaching. Look at Luther had a lot of great stuff. He was responsible for the Reformation. He did a lot of wonderful things. 
He was wrong on this. John Calvin had a lot of great stuff, but he was wrong on this one. Tommy Ice says this, Replacement theology is the view that the church is the new or the true Israel that has permanently replaced or superseded Israel as the people of God. That is a false teaching. And Tommy Ice is revealing that. Andy Woods in his work says this, Replacement theology, theology has been the fuel that has energized medieval anti-Semitism, Eastern European massacre of Jews, the Holocaust, contemporary disdain for the modern state of Israel. And he finishes with this statement. Replacement the, when, when replacement theology has flourished, the Jews had to run for cover. Isn't that something? God is not through with Israel. How do we know that? The Bible tells us so. The replacement theology is not biblical. Look at Remember the book of Daniel. Remember Daniel 9.24. We went through this so many times, I decided not to put it on the overhead. The 70 weeks prophecy that was promised to your people and to your holy city. These are weak years. When they came back from Babylonian captivity, God says you have 490 years and this whole thing could be done. If they believed in the Messiah, it would have been done. But at year 483, they rejected Messiah at the 69th week. There is one week left. The one week is the seven-year tribulation period. Was that explained well enough? Does, do people understand that? Just give me something. something. <laughs> yes. The whole reason for the tribulation period is for God to deal with the nation of Israel to bring them back into the fold. Remember, they have been blinded for a short time. God has made covenantal promises. Please hear this. This is like essential material. He has made covenantal promises to Israel that are unconditional. Unconditional. Genesis, we went through this last time. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. Then we talked about Jeremiah 31, 35, and 36, where God says, in order for the nation of Israel to not exist, the sun would have to disappear. The moon would have to disappear. The stars would have to disappear. It's in, that's what would have to happen. That hasn't happened. The nation of Israel are still part of God's plan. Paul did not believe that God was through with Israel. In Romans eleven twenty five and 26, he talks about a mystery. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brethren, since you'll, be, since you'll think you'll be wise in your own opinion. For blindness in part... Not totally. There's still Jews being saved. Not many, but there are some. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until when? The fullness of the Gentiles come in. What's the fullness of the Gentiles? A set number of Gentiles that will believe in the church age. When that last one is saved, that last man or that woman is saved, that is the end of the church age. Blindness is, in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of Gentiles have come in, and then all of Israel will be saved. The all of Israel are the remnant who believe in Messiah. Remember Zechariah 13. Two-thirds will not believe. One-third will believe as coming through the fire. So, Israel is blinded in part until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in and God will refocus on, on the nation of Israel. Our world today, folks, is ramping up more and more hatred for the Jewish people. It's, it's, we're coming into a time, it's, it's, it, you look in Europe, you look around the world, 
They are still hated. It's a tragedy of tragedies. And it's all part of Satan's ongoing hatred of the Jews. He's a persecutor of the Jews. And believe me, it's not just the Jews. He hates you. He hates you, the believer in Messiah. You are a target also. It's the reason we can say Satan is a persecutor extraordinaire. In closing, Satan is a persecutor, as we've said. Now, we've mentioned this many times. The reason we study Bible prophecy so that we know what is coming. We know what to expect. God has not left us blind. The revelation is the unveiling. It's the revealing of what's going to happen. It's not hiding. It's the revealing. It's the uncovering. To, do, to not become distraught as the signs of the times are unfolding right before our eyes. Most people don't see it because most people don't study prophecy. It isn't something that churches get into because it's too hard, too difficult, too controversial, too scary. I might scare the people, all that stuff. We've been through this before. But a few will know. A few will know what is coming. But the vast majority will be deceived. Now look, at Jesus made this real plain. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. For Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many go in by it. And narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. There are few who really know what's going on. The Antichrist will come this way. He will come into the world as a lifesaver for the world. Remember last time he's going to be an economic guru. He will be a peacemaker. He's going to come on the white horse. And we have the four horsemen of the apocalypse here. And he comes on the white horse, peacemaker. Remember, he has a bow, no arrows. He's slithery. He's slippery. But very quickly, he takes over the whole ten-nation confederation. Remember, three of them rebel, and he puts, down, he puts them down. And then after that, you're going to have famine, and then you're going to have death. And one-fourth, this is supposed to be the chlorophyll-colored horse, but anyway, it's one-fourth of the earth dies. Two billion people. That is what is coming. He's going to look great. He's going to look wonderful. He's going to look terrific. He's a good guy. He's a uniter. But in the, in the middle of tribulation, his true colors will burst forward and he'll insist to be worshipped as God and everyone must pledge allegiance to him. And if they don't, they don't take the mark, they're going to be beheaded. And he will try to kill every Jew and every believer he possibly can because he is a liar and he is a murderer. That is what Jesus said about him in John 8, 44. And never forget this. We, we mentioned this in the past. The Luciferian delusion is this. Antichrist is the Christ. This will permeate the earth. And as today, most will be deceived. And the vast majority will willingly take the mark of the beast. Now, I pass this up. Now, the mark of the beast is here. Now, we know it's going to be on the wrist or on the forehead. This is going to allow you to buy and to sell. This will allow you to not be beheaded. Okay? If you don't have this, he's going to be chasing you. What the mark of the beast is not is the next one. It is not Bill Gates, and it's not the injection that's coming, the vaccine that's coming. 
The technology is here for the mark of the beast, but this is not the mark of the beast. Okay? This is not the 666. The vaccine that is coming, again, I don't know what it has. Nobody knows. Now, there's people that postulate, they hypothesize. That's, they be able to track you to keep, keep track of people and that sort of thing. And the world thinks that's a good thing. They, they, they hypothesize that that's what's in, in, in this injection. I don't know that. But I do know that some of it is made with fetal parts. So if you're going to elect to take the injection, make sure you take it from the company that it's not fetal parts manufactured. One of, that would be the one that you're going to elect to take. Now, I don't know who the other ones are. That is not the mark of the beast. When you take the mark of the beast, you're willingly submitting your life to Antichrist. And you have gone against, remember one of the three angels in Revelation 14 warns, don't take the mark. That angel goes about before this whole thing happens. Don't take the mark of the beast. Don't take the mark. You're condemned if you take the mark. Don't take the mark, whatever you do. And most of the people will ignore the angel, talk about signs and wonders and miracles, and take the mark of the beast. That's how, per, how, how persuasive Antichrist is. Folks, there's a true church. Diedrich Bonhoeffer coined the term the true church. And it's in our world today. What is the true church? These are true believers that believe what the Bible says. And live out what the Bible says. It's not pretend Christianity. It's not pretend Christianity. Most of the true church today is found in, in other parts of the world, in third world countries, where Christianity is forbidden. Do you know today that there's a great harvest of souls in Iran? There's a revival going on in Iran, a persecuted group of people in the Sudan in Indonesia, Christians are increasing like mad. In Africa, in South America. But you know that in Europe, in the United States, it's gone down and down and down. People have been mesmerized by the social gospel in America. The true church in the West, folks, is almost non-existent today. Sad but true. And we are truly living in what the Bible calls the Laodicean church age. Look around. Open your eyes. I wasn't going to share this, but I will share this. There was, there's, what's happening in Christendom today is an abandonment of many people from the faith and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm giving up my faith. I'm an atheist. This is happening to youth pastors in higher numbers than any we've ever seen. Worship leaders, there's been several of them that have come out recently, very publicly, and said this. This is happening to Christians all around. There is a man, there's a Christian rock band called Skillet. And its leader had a reason for why this is happening. And I, I, when I first saw this guy, I think, well, he's going to be right with the rest of them. Because I'm labeling him. See, I'm, I'm making an opinion about ignorantly. Okay? I have to admit that. And when he starts speaking, he speaks the truth. He says, what has happened in America today, what has happened to these young people that are turning away from God and becoming atheists is they have not been under teaching that teaches the Bible as being the true word of God. They've been under teaching where it's been, it's been so watered down that they have no reason to believe. They don't even know why they believe in what they believe. And these are the pastors. These are the worship leaders of these churches. And they're empty in their souls. 
They're not being filled with God. They're not being filled with the word. They're not being filled with the spirit of God. And so they're turning, they're turning away. And he, he, he to his credit, puts it on this, this seeker-friendly gospel church today. And I think he's right. Folks, what do Laodiceans worship? The God of their imagination. Most people want the genie God, don't they? I want the God that's going to rescue me from my situation. I want the God that's going to make everything all better for me. I want the God that I can control. I'm the one that controls him. He doesn't control me. After all, isn't life all about me? Now, when you go to most places, life is all about you. And that is not true. Life is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. We are his servants. We belong to them. He, we, he purchased us with his blood. I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. I bow before my king, not before myself. How did, how did the people, the Laodicean church, look at themselves? Do you remember this? You say, I am rich. I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. But how did God see them? Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Not covered with the blood of Christ. Not having the, the, the righteousness of Christ imputed to them. There's nothing new under the sun, folks. How did Nebuchadnezzar see himself? How all the other world kingdoms see themselves? I was going to put the statue up again, but you've seen it enough. I figured you know it enough. Remember the head of gold, chest of silver, waist of bronze, iron legs, mighty and strong and handsome and virile and that sort of thing. And how did God see them? As absolute beasts. Beasts. Listen to this. Even in the lukewarm era that we are in, there is hope. Hope. Hope today is the same that it's been in the, all through history where God cries to people, turn and live. Turn and live. And I want to assure you, it isn't God that has stopped working. God is still working. God is still calling people. God is still convicting. The Spirit of God is still convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment. God still desires that all men be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. That's the heart of God in 1 Timothy 2.4. There's things that we must know. Know this. God will still have a people called by his name. He will. He's God. And know this. No matter what Satan tries to do to you, know this. God will strengthen you and he will protect you from the evil one. That's 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. Even in these turbulent times. Look at every family in here is going through something. When you look at interpersonal relationship problems, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities in the heavenlies. There's demonic forces that are at work behind all of this stuff. God will strengthen you and protect you. You stay under his cover. You, you get out from under his cover, you're going to be subject to the hits. It's not that you're not in the family of God, but you're putting yourself in dangerous territory. And know this, never forget it. You're the people of God and you are precious to God. God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son to die for you. And know this, there's nothing that the persecutor extraordinaire can do about it. 
You belong to God. There's nothing Satan can do about it. Wayne Watson wrote a song. It's called The People of God. Allow me to close with these words. Notice what he starts out with. He starts out with a confession of faith and belief. With our lips, let us sing one confession. With our hearts, hold to one truth alone. For he has erased our transgressions, claimed us and called us his own, his very own. I mean, that's salvation. That's salvation. And then once saved, watch this proclamation. Hear us, O spirits of darkness, so you will know that where we stand, we are his servants, purchased with scars, bought by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb. We have been purchased. We hear this, O spirits. That's why you confess with your mouth. That's why you have a public confession. Hear us, O spirits of darkness. That's why we get baptized, a public confession. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want everyone to know that he is my God. I will not worship a false God. And then he closes with the chorus, which you're familiar with. We're the people of God, called by his name, called from the dark and delivered from shame. One holy race, saints everyone, because of the blood of Christ, Jesus the Son. Oh, what a great song. Know this, you are the people of God, dearly loved, precious to God, and the persecutor extraordinaire can do nothing about it. You are secure in your God. He loves you. Remember, when you're thinking about what is going on in your life, and many of us are going through some traumatic times, all the plans that God has for you, remember them. He ha- all the plans he has, I know this. He has his plans for me, and I know that I'm in his hands. My God knows the plans, and my God has me in his hands. I am protected covered by my God. Now we're going to pray here at the end of the communion service. I'm going to play a song. It's going to be on the overhead here. It's going to be a Robin Mark song. And the song is all is well. And I would ask you to look at your life, seriously look at it and realize as the people of God, no matter what is going on in your life, God has you in the palm of his hands. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've allowed us to study your word. Holy Spirit, you take this word and you implant it into each one of us. Each one of us, God, needs a touch from you. Thank you that you have made us the people of God called by your name, cleansed from from our sins, no more shame, one holy race, saints everyone, because of the blood of Christ Jesus the Son. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son. And thank you for saving us. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for being the rod of iron up our spines that allows us to walk this thing out. Thank you for being here today with us. In Jesus' name, amen.